Are you ready for a shot? Ready. All right. Do you want to do one, two, three, or do you want to do beers, cheers, mountaineers? Obviously the second one. <laughs> ready? Beers, beers cheers, cheers, mountaineers. Oh. What the fuck oh. was that? <laughs> everyone <laughs> hi everyone hey julia guess what mm. it is our second halloween episode it is it's after halloween now officially but people are still trick-or-treating so i count it <laughs> i wasn't ready to do this on thursday so <laughs> no it's fine we, we missed the mark by a little bit i was out celebrating on halloween i went to see marilyn manson you did, and it was oh. fucking amazing, and I'm so jealous of you. It was really good. The concert was really, really good. I enjoyed it a lot. And then the next day, MCR tickets went on sale, but I did not make it. Nope. <laughs> I oh, well. didn't even try. Yeah. Eh. It's fine. Listen, your fringe game is, like, on point today. Oh my God, it is. I'm so freaking happy with the way that this turned out, and I have no idea why it did it, but... Like, yes. okay, listen, it's the power of MCR. Yes, <laughs> the they've come back into the world, and now I'm just like, uh, side bangs. <laughs> I started wearing earrings again. That's also the power of my chemical romance. <laughs> nice. Oh, uh, okay. So, uh, through our prattle, this is the Halloween episode. It's going to come out a little bit after Halloween, but we're super excited about it anyway. Yeah. No, we wanted to do one Halloween Urban Legends episode and one Halloween murder episode. So yep, yep. here's your murder episode, y'all. And Julia's taking it today. I am. We've done a couple episodes where like, you regale me with something that you found, and I always think it's just well, super fun. I did the last Halloween episode, so it's only fitting that you do this one. It is. No, definitely. So <laughs> this, all right, a little backstory. So a couple of <laughs> a couple of months ago, I found this book and it's um, Dissecting Death by Dr. Frederick Zugby. And I've talked about this on this podcast before because that was where I found the Egil Dogvesti episodes um, the Gimp mask source material, episodes. yeah, the Gimp mask one, and it, oh god, it was so good, and it's a really amazing book. So I was leafing through that for a little bit, and I found another case out of that that I wanted to do. So a literal months ago, I bought this book that I was going to be like, oh yeah, cool, no, I'll just read through this, and then like it'll be a super fun episode to do. I have been reading that book paragraphs at a time. <laughs> Because I can't read it faster or I scare myself. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Because I did Ed Gein last time, so you have large shoes to fill. Like, Ed Gein is a classic in horror. Oh yeah, well this isn't horror, this is more, much more like... But is it horrifying? I think it is. It's my there personal nightmare fuel. <laughs> I can only imagine. And like, it's not... It's not going to be anywhere close to as gory as, like, I've made a lamp out of a human spine. That's not what we're doing this year. <laughs> what we're doing this year is, how many times can you let a convicted felon out of prison? Because you think he's just kind of a chill dude. 
so many times. They've done it so many times. Yeah. Okay. So today I am going to talk about the Susan Strangler, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. the Charmer, a.k.a. Robert Reldon. I know he should be more scary, but Susan to me is on par with Karen. So I'm just imagining like these atypical bobs, super like uh, super van moms, just the Susan strangler. <laughs> <laughs> One day, a disgruntled store employee lost it <laughs> and took out all the Susans in the area. It's not quite that. So okay. these Susans were killed in their mid-twenties before they evolved into, uh, may I speak to the manager? They, no, before they poke-evolved into a Karen. Yeah. So a Susan, it's Susan, pokey evolution, Karen. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm following you, and I think I like where this is going. But that's not where this story is going, <laughs> so... I'm going to talk about Robert Reldon, because he is the single scariest person that I have ever had to read a book about. Oh, no. I actually don't know the name. Yeah, no, he's not super well-known as a serial killer, but he's got a very impressive criminal rap sheet, <laughs> and he has been oh, convicted no. of two murders, but is suspected of eight. So. Oh, yeah. no. <clears throat> so he was born in 1940 in Brooklyn, New York. He had everything going for him he was intelligent he was charming he was attractive he was rich as fuck he had a loving family that supported him almost unconditionally he was the total package and he is proof that it does not matter where you come from anyone can be a fucking monster so he was uh more uh nature over nurture yes yeah no this okay. isn't like a nurture he he, <laughs> the nurture was yeah, there. No, he had like a a really just like an impressive, wonderful upbringing, with a family that just did everything that they could for him, and he was a fucking psychopath. <laughs> so there's nothing you can do for that, really. No, nope. um, he's diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And that was just sort of the first in a long list of things that was very wrong with him. I think that pretty much sums up yeah, the other no, list um, things on those lists. <laughs> They're going to follow much in that oh, same I'm perfect psychopath, yes. like uh, American Beauty. Or not American, well, American Beauty, American Psycho. That was a Fallout Boy song. Yeah, we'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that you don't watch I horror. I don't. It's fine. Sorry. I'm just, I'm terrified of things that jump out at me and I don't like it. All right. Here's all you need to know about American Psycho. Batman lost his shit and started killing people. And that's it. Like, well, <laughs> just yeah, imagine no, that I, visual. I didn't know it was Batman, but like, I sort of got the impression that somebody lost their shit and started killing people. Well, no, Christian Bale is the psycho in American Psycho. Ooh. So just imagine like Batman lost his shit all right. and started killing people. That is scary as fuck. <laughs> Anyway, Reldon attended high school in Fort Lee, New Jersey, um, and his family had moved to New Jersey from New York when he was a child, and by age 17, he had a long juvenile record. It was very extensive and very involved, but it was sealed whenever he turned 18. Ah, uh, see, that's the problem. Yeah. So, um, by the time that he was 17, he 
uh, had already had an extensive rap sheet that included assault and robbery of a woman in New York City, and he had already done time in a reformatory. So basically, the years of criminal activity that we're talking about are from roughly 1958 to 1975. So that's not super long. That's not too long. He has been convicted of two murders, at least two rapes, more than a dozen assault and batteries, countless burglaries, a conspiracy to rob and kill a member of his own family, and additionally, he is a prime suspect in the murder cases of six other teenage girls that had all been strangled and sexually assaulted before their deaths. Oh. Um, No. He has found one parole board that didn't immediately look at him and go, yeah, you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) No. Oh, no, Julia. Yeah. Um, So let's go ahead and just sort of dive right in. Um, Tell me about him. So his first official charge as an adult was in 1963, and it was the rape of a 14-year-old girl named Ana Maria Hernandez. Nope. Mm-mm. Yep, that's not a great starting place. Mm-mm. No, no. Um, for those of you who listen to this show, I don't really like to talk about sexual assault whenever I do these episodes because I've got a history with it, and it's like, yeah, I was worried when you like started texting me. And you're like, oh my god, this is my nightmare. I was like, oh no, how much rape is in this story? It's a lot. It's really a lot. Oh no. Um, sitting there and reading like the detailed accounts in one of the books that I had oh, was no. like. It was really difficult, but it's something that happens and it's something that's important to talk about. Like, you can't just pretend it doesn't exist. So, yeah. Trigger warning officially for any of you, probably should have done this before, trigger warning officially for any of you who don't really like to hear about sexual assault. This won't be in graphic detail, but it will be mentioned. I'll see you in two weeks. (laughs) If you don't want to continue on, just go to the back to the beginning of the episode where Julie and I take a very ill-timed shot and then talk about our feelings. Yes, do that. <laughs> that seems good. Um, anyway, uh, she was a 14-year-old girl and she was home with her sister and her three-year-old nephew at the time. Um, Reldon, along with another accomplice, had broken in to rob the place, but Reldon wasn't satisfied with just burglarizing something. Oh, no. He had already, at this point in his criminal record, escalated well beyond that, and he started his assault of her by beating her in the head with an iron rod. Not hard enough to knock her out, but definitely hard enough to subdue her, and then he started to strangle her. Oh, no. Oh, honey. He only stopped because the other person that was robbing the place with him intervened. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's just straight up a monster. Yeah. So that's where our story begins. That was chapter (laughs) one of this book. And I was real tempted to put it right back down. But here I am. Welcome to Insidious 15. (laughs) Mm hmm. He got away, and he was not caught for that for quite some time. Uh, He was arrested roughly a year later for carrying a concealed weapon, and he posted bail. Within a month, police had arrested him again for a very similar charge, also involving a tire iron and sexual assault with breaking and entering. Um, Because of the similarities of the cases, Hernandez was brought in to look at him in a lineup, and she immediately identified him as her assailant. Oh, my God. Um, So this is a 15-year-old girl that's been put in front of a police lineup. Oh, my God. 
and has been asked to identify someone who did this to her at three in the morning. I know I should laugh at the fact that you've added at three in the morning because that is an injustice in itself. <laughs> you broke into my house at three in the morning. Right? Come back when it's daylight. <laughs> well, like that's part of it, but also the other part of it is like she was dazed and confused and scared and that's it was true. dark. Okay. And she still, through all of that, absolutely managed to make a positive ID of this guy. Um That's amazing. That's like true strength though. Really? Um, I have a lot of respect for her. During the same period of 1963, during the Hernandez rape and while all of that was happening, between roughly June 4th and July 23rd, Reldon committed five assaults on different women in apartment buildings in Manhattan's Upper West Side and one assault on a woman in the Bronx. Um, That's like... Completely dif- different, oh, like yeah. social status scale. Oh yeah, Manhattan from the Bronx. So he's just like all over. No, New York. he really is. And he was tall, and he looked to be in like his early twenties. And he was this very non-threatening guy. He was a little bit tall, but he was, you know, he would. His mo basically for these assaults was that he would follow a woman into her building and get on an elevator with her whenever no one else was there. Oh, he would no. let her select the floor first, and then would select a floor beneath her. And then once the elevator doors shut, he would start to choke her and steal her pocketbook and any accessible jewelry before fleeing. Oh no. I can never yeah. get into an elevator again. No. I'm going to be so skinny taking the stairs everywhere. Right? Oh, shit. That's terrifying, though. Yeah. Um, eventually, he was picked up for this. Um, oh, Reldon ended up, he had a good attorney because his aunt, Aunt Lillian, uh, was Lillian Booth. And her husband was one of the founders of IBM. Oh shit! So oh, whenever he had that top grade lawyer, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no. Uh, whenever her husband died of a heart attack, she was forty years old, and she inherited his entire estate. And Reldon was her favorite nephew. Girl goals. Mm-hmm. Goals. Forget about the nephew, but like that's that's really all I want out of my life is to be a. A uh, sudden and unexpected millionaire after my husband dies when I'm 40. <laughs> I want that too. I don't want my <laughs> husband to die, but I do want the millionaire part. No, I'll take the house. It's fine. <laughs> you had a good few years. Yeah. I need some peace. Fair. <laughs> um. Anyway, because he had a good attorney, he was able to arrange a very sweet plea bargain of the five elevator robberies four of them were dismissed uh and he was sentenced to two five-year terms to run concurrently for all of the crimes including the hernandez rape so he only got i'm sorry i'm wait a second am i thinking correctly that he only spent five years in prison you're not okay he spent two and a half Mm-hmm. No, that's so many crimes to just string together like macaroni art. That is not okay. <laughs> you have to go away for your time. Mm-hmm. Nope. Um, 
a, a good majority of the crimes that he had committed up to that point, or at least the crimes that he had been accused of up to that point, were effectively erased from his record. Oh no parole God, board would be able to access them, and no judge, when considering sentencing, would be able to look at them going forward. How the fuck did they swing that? Money, bitches. I d- like, um, I know the whole system's corrupt. Spoiler alert. It definitely is. But, like, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a theme for this episode. Okay. Oh, no. Just I'm so angry. So you're aware. Over and I over again. I have hot chocolate. I'm good. <laughs> okay. He manages to sweet talk juries and parole boards and judges and other prisoners. Like someone in charge of his treatment. I'll get into that one later. That one real pissed me off. Real bad. So he's like a more successful Ted Bundy. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Um, And has a lot of kind of astonishing similarities to Bundy as we go through this case. So. Yeah. That's what I was thinking already. Mm-hmm. As an adult, by the time that he is imprisoned for the first time, he has committed nine serious crimes, seven of which involve violence against women, and he is effectively sentenced to one five-year prison sentence, from which he was released early after serving just two and a half years. His juvenile record had been sealed. The rest of the crimes had been dropped. So, he's out. He is a free man. He is on parole. Um, so that's not like free, free, but that's like real lenient. <laughs> Poor parole officers. They try their best, but they do. You're in a hard position and you have a hard job. And this was not the time to fuck that up. You can't help people that don't want help. And so like, it's really hard to like try and keep people on track that don't want to be on yeah, track. No. So in 1967, while he was out on parole, uh, he was arrested once again for the very brutal rape of another woman named Bernice Kaplan. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my God. She was alone at her house when the doorbell rang and he was posing as someone who was lost and just like needed to use her phone because he thought that this was his boss's house. But I guess he's in the wrong neighborhood. And Oh, my gosh. Girl, that is a lesson I teach the kids in the morning. I kid you not. There's like a whole lesson about strangers. And one of the little like uh, things they read, one of the little summaries or paragraphs they read is like, what do you do if you're home alone and somebody you don't know knocks on your door? Don't answer the door. And then it just moves on. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, she later said that even though she was wary of him, she let him in because he was clean cut and polite. He was carrying a suit and driving a green convertible. So her guard was way down. Yeah. He went into a back room. He pretended to make a phone call. He didn't cause any trouble until he was on the way out, in which case he turned around, slammed her against the wall, and assaulted her. Oh, my God. That must have been terrifying. Mm-hmm. Because you're, uh, like, he's almost out. You're, like, you're, at that point, you're going, all right, it's okay. I'm safe. It was a, it was a good person. And then he turns. Mm-hmm. She tried to stop him by warning him that her son would be home from school soon, and he told her that if her son came home at the wrong time, he would kill him. Oh, my God. Uh, And wouldn't hesitate. Oh, my God. So, uh, when this was reported, Reldon was asked to come into the police station because he drove a green convertible at the time. Um, Kaplan immediately identified him, and he was arrested on the spot. When he went to trial... 
he ended up getting a hung jury. <gasps> and it was declared a mistrial. When was this? This was 1967. Oh, that actually doesn't shock me that much. Mm-hmm. No, he has um, a, a history, really, of wooing the women on the jury. There were women on the jury that looked at Reldon and went, no, nah, he's cute. No, fuck those people. Mm-hmm. And this, again, would happen a lot. It happens a lot. He was convicted on retrial, and when he was uh, sent to prison, he was required by law to be evaluated by the State uh, Diagnostic and Treatment Center to determine if he was a sexual predator. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is, for those of you keeping track, his ninth, tenth attack on a woman. Uh, yeah, he's a, he is. Spoiler alert. Um... Anyway, he was sentenced to an indeterminate term, not to exceed 30 years, and he was classified as a special sex offender, which meant that he was transferred to the treatment section of the Rayway prison? Rahway prison? <laughs> R-A-H-W-A-Y. <laughs> Rayway! I'm remembering our earlier episode. Rayway! Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Where are all these clothes from, Ray Ray? Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's not dead men in the basement. Don't worry about it. No, just chill. Just make make me a make me a coat blanket, dude. Don't don't go look in the barn. Okay, okay. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, when he was transferred into the treatment section, it's basically a prison hospital, which means that it's not actually prison. It's just very cushy. Um, and that is where he met a man named uh, William Pender Prendergrass. I cannot say it. Prendergast. There we Is go. Is that his real name? P-R-E-N-D-E-R-G-A-S-T. I just don't think that's his real name. Um, if you are considering seeing Mr. Prendergast <laughs> for your psychological needs... Oh, no. Don't do it. <laughs> okay. See, that's not his real name. He's got, like, a fake license. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway... He was serving at the time as the assistant superintendent of the treatment unit, and he was, from all accounts, president of the Bobby Reldon fan club. Prendergast um, was absolutely, undoubtedly unqualified, unprepared, and unbelievably gullible. Um, he was completely enamored with Reldon and was completely unaware that Reldon was manipulating him. Oh, uh, no. The doctors at the treatment center diagnosed Reldon and said that he showed repetitive, compulsive, and aggressive sexual behavior. And Prendergast did not give a shit. Didn't care. Julia. It's, it's, uh, the Joker and Harley Quinn. Yeah. No, that's legitimately what this is. This is, like, the worst version of Harley Quinn. Ugh. Um... He had conducted more than 440 hours of psychotherapy on Reldon within three years. Uh, he's quoted as saying, insight flowed from him like water, and he was supposed to be the program's greatest success. Mm-hmm. No. Nope. Um, <laughs> despite the fact that Reldon had, to that point, an extensive criminal history with almost 25 different offenses... Um, 
Prendergast spun the issue and said that when analyzed, there were only actually seven prior offenses and only two that involve any type of actual violence. This is how deep this man is into this fucking delusion. He doesn't see the fucking criminal record that's in front of him that he has to look at because he's supposed to be giving this guy psyche valves. Oh my god. You want to know the kicker? Oh, no, but tell me. He wasn't a psychiatrist. Oh my god, I knew it was a fake fucking name. Mm. (laughs) I knew it. He had a degree in psychology. No, that shit sounds like it's from um, like any period drama. Doesn't it? (laughs) So Lizzie McGuire, whatever her name was, went to go see Mr. Pendergast. (laughs) And Dossie was jealous. I think you might want to go back a little further in time than Lizzie McGuire. I'm I'm thinking... (laughs) I was sitting here thinking like, yeah, Jack the Ripper, something along that era, like that time frame. And then you're like, Lizzie McGuire. And I'm like, what? No. (laughs) I meant Lizzie Bennett. <laughs> oh, Jade Austin. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um. Anyway, Prendergast had a psychology degree, but his role at the time was supposed to be a supervisor at the treatment center. He oh, no. decided to be Reldon's exclusive personal therapist and started ignoring all of the other prisoners and <gasps> all of his other duties and he ended up harassing the parole board to get Reldon released on parole after serving just three years out of that 30 year sentence oh oh my god it, this is creepy this is a legit horror story it is um it took Reldon a grand total of five months after his release to reoffend. oh my god um this time, he attacked a woman in her car with a seven and a half inch hunting knife. Oh my god! Um, she managed to escape, and she immediately called the police. Yeah, and there was a patrol officer in the area that managed to track Reldon to a local diner and arrest him, where they recovered the hunting knife from between the counters at the restaurant, and um. They put Reldon in the back of an unmarked police car and drove him by this victim. And she positively identified him within 25 minutes of the assault. He ended up finding this victim after leaving the hospital after a visit with Prendergast. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my God. With, within a very short period of time, I believe it was the same day, police officers, after... Reldon had tried to give Prendergast, like, use him as an alibi. They found him, and then Prendergast informed them that Reldon was out on parole for a rape conviction at the time. Mm -hmm. And he looked those officers dead in the face and said, and I quote, I find it difficult to believe that Bobby would have committed this crime. Oh my god. What the fuck? Reldon's parole was revoked, and he was sentenced to an additional five to seven years but once again, to be served concurrently oh on top God. of the uh, rape conviction. <sighs> so this is effectively no punishment. No. no additional punishment for what he's done. He's just like, yep, okay, yep. cool. You have to go back to prison. Julia, I think before we continue on, we should explain what serving a sentence concurrently means to the audience. Okay. So 
there there are effectively two types of sentencing. You can mm-hmm. serve your sentence concurrently or serve your sentence consecutively when you have more than one charge. Mm-hmm. So to serve your sentence concurrently, it means that you're serving your sentences all at the same time. So if you get like five years on each offense, you're only spending five years in jail. Yeah, you're just on paper there for more than one thing. Yeah. When you serve something consecutively, you have to serve your full term or however much of their term you they say you have to. And then your next sentence starts. Mm-hmm. So, so when we say he's serving his terms concurrently, we're angry because it's literally no time at all. Yeah, it's not. It's it's the closest thing to a literal slap on the wrist that I can possibly think of. Mm-hmm. I don't even know that it's that bad. Yeah. Um, the upside of this was that this time he had to go to actual prison instead of the treatment center. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, when I said five to seven years, just kidding. He was paroled again four years later in May of 1975 based on a positive recommendation by prison authorities. Oh, my God. What are they saying that everybody like everybody else is like, let's put him in jail. How many times can you let someone out of jail when they have this sort of a record? Like, this is the thing that scares me. He's escaping all of these fucking consequences for all of this horrible shit that he's doing. Yeah. And he's clearly escalating. This is Mm -hmm. the time frame is getting closer together. The severity of it is getting closer together. He's using weapons where he wasn't before. He's just getting worse. And everyone around this case is like, he's a nice guy. Oh my I god. I like him. He's charming. Which is why he's called the charmer. Like he just talks his way out of shit. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. He is a nice, clean cut, attractive white boy and does not have consequences for the horrible shit that he does. He is. He is more like a more successful Bundy. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Disgusting. So anyway, he was paroled in May of nineteen seventy five. And uh, he would escalate to murder a grand total of four months later. Oh, my God. Four months. No. Four months. Did he finally stay in jail? Uh, sort of. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> um, so these are the two cases that we know the most about. The other cases that he is suspected of happened between 1974 and 1975, and there is some discrepancy because of the timelines of whether or not he was involved in them, but they do fit pretty closely with his MO. So I'm not going to cover those really, but they're on yeah. Murderpedia. So if you feel like going to Murderpedia, knock yourself out. We won't judge you. <laughs> <laughs> we can't judge you. I know they're on Murderpedia because I saw them there. <laughs> Um, anyway these are the cases that received the most attention and they were the ones that were prosecuted and these are the case of the missing Susans oh my god no yeah okay it's not funny but the missing Susans is possibly the worst name I know somebody really needed to come up with like this needed rebranding real bad um But the two women who went missing were Susan Haynes, who was 26, and Susan Reeve, who was 22. They looked astonishingly similar, and aside from having different hair colors, they absolutely looked like they could be related. They disappeared during the same time frame of day, just weeks apart. Mm -hmm. And their bodies were found one day apart, 
and only seven miles from each other. Oh, my God. And they weren't related. No. Wow. Mm-hmm. So Susan Haynes was reported missing first. Uh, she okay. was reported missing on October 6th, 1975. Um, she was reported missing by her husband, Jonathan. And she has, for all intents and purposes, vanished into thin air. They never found her body? They did. Oh, okay. But when the, she was abducted, there was nothing out of place. There was no sign of a struggle. It looked like she had just, up vanished. in smoke, vanished. Um, huh. Nothing in the house was out of place. They did eventually find that some of her jewelry was missing, but it didn't look like it had been taken in any sort of rush. It looked like she had been lured outside of her house. The keys to her car were still sitting in her car. Her purse was missing, but her clothes were laid out because she had a ceramics class later that day and she was a very organized person. Everything in the house was clean. It was all effectively like she had just walked away, but she wasn't the sort of person who would. And there were things that didn't add up. Yeah. That's um, interesting that like nothing was like out of place. Yeah, really. Um, this is my favorite fact about this whole thing. <laughs> okay. The responding officer's name was Victor Pizza. Oh my god, no. Pizza. Like the food. Yes. No, but yes. <laughs> Do you know how instantly unafraid I would become of a police officer if, if somebody goes out, oh, hey, Officer Pizza, you got this? <laughs> Seriously, though, like, I just want to talk to a couple of people who have either, like, unusual or unfortunate last names. Names, yeah. Like, I... SNL did a whole skit on that. It was great. It was. I just, I know so many people who have, like, weird names, and I just want to sit down with them and be like, are you aware, first and foremost, that that's what your name is? <laughs> and secondly, are you aware that you can change that? Oh, like no. that's a thing that what doesn't have to stay with aware? you. Do you then, as part of the show, have to explain to them why their name is bad? I guess so. <laughs> like sidetrack. My neighbors are friends with a man who I'm not shitting you. His name is Dicky Smells, <laughs> and they. Did no. not once see anything strange about this until they told my mother, and she burst out laughing uncontrollably. Oh, no. And so did I. How awful to go your whole life not knowing you have an awful name. <laughs> Why would you not change that? Oh, my gosh. Dickie Smells. Dickie Smells. <laughs> Why would you do that to oh, yourself? no. I don't know. There's some really bad ones out there. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm with you. I don't know how you don't know. But, like, imagine not knowing and then somebody going, you know it's like your dick smells right. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't understand. I don't know what's worse. Knowing how bad your name is as you grow up or not knowing and that happening to you. I've no idea i have no idea which one would be worse that seems like an actual nightmare to me <laughs> would you rather <laughs> <laughs> okay so anyway 
Officer Pizza arrived at the house. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It's time to be serious again. Okay. I know. Uh, I can't be. Anyway, he managed to collect some background on Susan. She and Jonathan had only been married for four months. They were newlyweds and they had just moved to the United States from England so that he could pursue a career here. Um, It had become clear that she had been homesick and they had had a fight that morning about her wanting to go back to England and him wanting to stay in the United States. Oh, no. So that was their last words exchanged were... Oh, no. We're in the heat of the moment. In the heat of the moment. And just they were... They were upset. They were upset with each other. And then he came home and he never saw her again. So, like, my heart breaks for this man. Julia, I love you, you bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for both of those. I appreciate it. (laughs) And I love you, too. Thank you. Anyway, they really came to kind of a dead end. They had narrowed down the window where she could have gone missing to about two hours. Um... But for the most part, there just wasn't any sort of evidence. There wasn't any physical evidence. There wasn't an eyewitness. There wasn't anything that had looked out of the ordinary. Um, And this case, for as much attention as it drew, really didn't take off much until eight days later Mm -hmm. when Susan Reeve disappeared on her way home from work. Oh, no. Uh, She had just moved home after graduating from college. And she was working as a secretary and a receptionist in Manhattan. She had taken the bus home and people saw her get off at the corner of Anderson Avenue and Country Road in Demarest. And she lived maybe a 10 minute walk away from the bus stop. And never, never made, made home. it. Oh. Um, Reldon was a bit sloppier with her. There were just a plethora of witnesses that saw him in the area following her. So there was more circumstantial evidence with that case than there was with but Haynes. Let me guess. Didn't nothing happened. It took a while. <laughs> um okay. He is eventually convicted of both of these. But oh good. Okay. It's a ride to get there. The first body that was found was Susan Haynes. Uh she was found on October 27th in severely decomposed uh, she was in a wooded area in Vol- Valley Cottage in Rockland County, New York. She's nude. She is covered, for the most part, in sticks and leaves. And she is not still intact. Um, oh. A pair of pantyhoses tightly corded around her neck with a twig that was used basically as a garret just to, as a- to twist those gotcha. tight enough to strangle her. It was impossible because of the state of decomposition to tell whether or not she had been sexually assaulted before she was killed. But the medical examiner, Dr. Zugby, very strongly suspected that she was. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But that's his whole motivation. Seriously. Is sexual pleasure. Uh, less so. than 24 hours later, Susan Reeve was found seven miles away. She was lying face up with her legs posed and spread wide with the same sort of ligature um, pantyhose with the twig used to tighten. There was enough left at her to tell that she had been sexually assaulted before her death. 
And her body, they suspected, had been moved twice since she was killed. Oh, so a horrifying thought. Do you think there was a time where both of them were alive and and together? The, like, generally, no. It seems like they were both killed within the same day that they were abducted. I don't think that he had them just okay. like off somewhere and was keeping them before he would kill them. Okay. Well, because I was wondering, because like of his escalation, I was wondering how far that would go. Would he go into like torture like days long torture and then murder or would it just stay with murder it did go into torture but it wasn't prolonged over days it was prolonged over a couple of hours before he would eventually strangle them to death and then dump them somewhere gotcha i was just thinking they're so close together that he had escalated again yeah well here's the thing they he had escalated there he had kidnapped both of them a week apart Mm-hmm. This is a serious, and he's escalated now to murder. He's not yeah. stopping. Oh, are these are his first murders? These are his, f- well, I don't know if these are his first murders. Because okay. there were the other. I thought he said he'd murdered sometime before. It's suspected that he had murdered sometime before. There were okay. a total of six other victims, and four of them would have predated these murders. Two of them would have been Got after. You. I was wondering if these were his first or if the ones that he wasn't convicted for predated or postdated. Mm-hmm. But because of the timelines for the ones that would have predated this, it's not super clear of whether or not yeah. he was involved. So these gotcha. are officially on the record, the first murders. Okay, I see. Um, Reldon was brought into the police station just to be questioned, and he had to comply with that because he was on parole. He was questioned, but he wasn't arrested for another several days. Um, and he wasn't arrested for the murders. He was arrested because he had committed two burglaries and had gotten caught. Oh, my God. He was connected more securely to the Reeves um, abduction and murder mm-hmm. because people, people saw him. Saw. and. The evidence connecting him to the Haynes murder was not that strong. It was later determined that he had sold and then rebought her engagement ring from a Macy's in New York. But the person that he had sold it to that worked at the Macy's was not a fantastic witness. Almost like the Macy's return policy was banging in the 70s. Well, the way that it had worked was like they would buy jewelry from people, but then they would be required to keep it for 15 days. Partly because they wanted to give people like a chance to change their minds, but mostly because they wanted to give the police a valid opportunity to come through and be like, you got any stolen shit? Is that? Yeah. Did that used to belong to somebody and then they don't know they don't have it? Like <laughs> The finger's still in that ring, so I'm going to need to take mm-hmm. that with me. <laughs> um, anyway, they were able to determine that it probably was Susan Hayes's ring because it was, you know, it was bought from Harold's in London, which is a very, very prestigious department store. Yeah. And it was an ex especially unique design it was three center diamonds with 15 clusters around it um wow and it was diamonds yeah 
Hmm. Or 15 diamonds around it in a cluster. But it was just stunning. And they had managed to get, like, sketches of it from the original artist. And they had managed... But the person that Reldon had sold it to was, for one, shit at keeping records. And for another thing, was intentionally shit at keeping records because he was stealing things. Oh, well, I was going to say anybody that would do... Well, no, because he was so charming, people wouldn't suspect. No. (sighs) Um, Reldon actually had a regular, like, jewelry dealer that he would go and, like, sell his burgled jewelry to. Uh, who just never suspected him. Like, he would come in all the fucking time with, like, fistfuls of stolen jewelry. (laughs) And the dude would be like, how'd you get that? And he's like, I want it in a game of cards. And then that was a good enough explanation. Oh, my God. I can't believe he's gotten away with what he's getting away with. With everything. Whew. Uh, Whenever they did finally arrest Reldon, they impounded his car. Good. And they decided to search it for evidence. Oh my god, finally. The way that they did it, though, oh, no. was faulty, and it's the reason that you need to procedurally make sure that the way you request your warrants is solid. Oh my gosh, Julia, my hope got so high, and then you instantly I killed know. it. They did, when they searched the car, find hair that was consistent with both Susans in the car. And they had taken hair samples from people in Reldon's life that had a reason to be in the car, and it didn't match any of them. It was just consistent with Reeves and Haynes. Oh, shit. Um, Unfortunately, whenever they went to go and apply for the search warrant, they had only specified on the search warrant that they were searching for things related to the burglary and not related to the missing women women they couldn't keep any of that nope that was excluded for two whole murder trials it was finally brought in on the third one oh my god yeah how did they bring it in they eventually ended up bringing it in because it had gone to the supreme court and the supreme court had ruled that it was allowable evidence um, okay. both of the trial courts for the first and second trial had decided to exclude it as fruit of the poisonous tree but after that had been appealed by the state and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court the court decided that it was fine and then they were able to bring it in <laughs> good on the court for just looking at the law and going hmm not today let's put him in jail <laughs> <laughs> good on the court for going we have spent so much fucking money on this trial <laughs> We really need to lock this guy up. And, you know, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Julie, I could buy a new couch with all the money they spent on this oh trial. Oh my god, you could. <laughs> I'm still so fucking angry. I am so angry that the fucking... Ooh. For those of you who are not caught up with our episodes and don't understand why I'm so angry, the Supreme Court of West Virginia had a chief justice that decided to buy a $32,000 couch for his office. What does the couch do for you that costs $32,000? Does it call hookers on demand? (laughs) It's not even a pretty couch. It's not a pretty couch. It's a sectional, and it's a cheap one. (laughs) It cost $32,000 in a state where people... Do not make thirty-two thousand dollars. 
Really ever. I, just <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> anyway, um, because the search warrant was thought to be tainted, the physical evidence surrounding Ugh. this case was suppressed. There was additional evidence that they had gotten like someone who was very well known and very renowned for training dogs to recognize mm -hmm. like scents and they'd gone through the whole thing and the dogs had indicated that both Susans had been in uh, in Reldon's car yeah but that at court up against no DNA no it's really well this was before DNA oh well that's true there wasn't DNA to be had this was really reliable evidence unfortunately the dog trainer, oh. in the years that it took to get this shit to trial, just disappeared. Oh, my God. And their really reliable evidence was never brought to trial. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. This is a shit show. So this is a procedural nightmare. Uh, it's a procedural nightmare. Um, with the physical evidence suppressed, the state only had an a circumstantial case. The first trial ended once again with a hung jury. Ten of the jurors had voted to convict him, one was on the fence, and one was a woman who was completely enamored oh. with Relton and refused to believe that he had done anything wrong. No amount of pointing her at the evidence could get could do anything. No. Get your shit together. Stop idolizing serial killers. We make fun of serial killers. I don't want to bang Ted Bundy. Like, you all need to get your shit together. No! No, I don't understand who wants to... I'm so confused. I don't get it. Like, I know it's a thing. I understand that it's a thing. I don't know why it's a thing, but I'm cool with sitting back here and being like, okay, you know what? You do you. Until you're on the goddamn jury. Oh, my God. Right. Don't be in a position where you can just let these people roam free. I think that, at this point, that should just be a question they ask just the jury are any of you sexually attracted to this man all right you you and you gone <laughs> <laughs> oh, jesus christ the second trial did end up in a conviction they retried the case and effectively had the same strategy and the same circumstantial evidence but uh Reldon had a public defender this time and while he did a really admirable job um it was a stronger case from the state's point of view because they had found additional witnesses oh namely the additional witnesses that they found they brought in for the limited purpose under rule 55 oh, to show a propensity for him strangling people and the witnesses that they brought in were his former rape victims <gasps> bam yeah so they made these women oh get God. up in front of a jury and testify as to what had happened to them in graphic detail. And that is a bad thing. You can't do that shit because the entire trial got thrown out over it. Yeah. It was determined that the evidence was too prejudicial and not nearly probative enough to be sustained. And that had tainted the jury. And so they had to go through trial number three. Oh, my God. Okay. That was that would have been a boss move if they had done it right. Right? If they had done it right. They did not do that right. Okay. Um yeah. So 
that was some bullshit. He's, by the way, during all of this, he is in prison. Good. He's been convicted of a conspiracy to commit murder and robbery against his sweet Aunt Lillian, who had been financing his defense. Oh, that's why he got a public defender. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She pulled the plug on his attorney money, but we'll get to it later. She didn't pull the plug on all of his money. Oh, no. Um, so she refused to continue financing his criminal defense because he had tried to have her murdered. Kill her. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... That's a little damper on things. Just a smidge. Maybe don't... Julia, you get, like, one free I'm gonna murder you. Okay. <laughs> after after I survive that one. If I do, there's no second one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for letting me know where I stand. You're welcome. I, I always like to have that outlined nicely for me. <laughs> Anyway, in the third trial, the rape victims were not called back, but the physical evidence was let in. And additionally, Reldon, you remember that narcissistic personality disorder thing from earlier? Mm Mm-hmm. Not unlike Ted Bundy, he decided to defend himself because he was going to do a better job than his attorney who had been doing nothing but trials for 50 years. It's never, ever a good idea. It's just never a good idea. Like, I don't care if you're very, very competent. If you're going to defend yourself in trial, it looks bad. I don't care. Well, here's the thing. They, um, the court was not about to allow that to go up on appeal. They fucking refused to let him defend himself completely by himself. Yeah. Uh, They forced his old public defender to sit next to him throughout the entire trial and offer advice. Oh, he was not getting paid for that no. enough. No, he wasn't getting paid for that. He had other clients that he needed to tend to. Uh, but he had to sit next to this dude for the entire third trial while uh, Reldon just flat out ignored his advice and refused to ask questions that would help him in defense. I would have brought out like a Nintendo DS. I would have been like, I tried, Your Honor. <laughs> like, <through> Mario Kart. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's doing fine. I don't know. I've tried. Mm-hmm. Okay, backing up, because I skipped over something really important. Okay. During the second trial, after the rape victims testified, Reldon knew that he was real fucked. Yeah. Um, And knew that his chances of getting out of prison were slim to none. So the way that he decided to get around this was he tried a prison break. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. Um, he somehow got a hold of a can of tear gas... How the fuck did he get a hold of a t- can of tear gas? So, to the best of my recollection from this book, because I read it like four hours ago, um, the way that the whole thing was set up was that he would be transferred to the court... No. Yes. He would be transferred to the courthouse. And then in the courthouse, the guards had like a station set up in the courthouse that was like inside of a locked cage and it had their gear. It had like batons and tear gas and things just in case they needed it. Well, he was allowed to keep like his suit because he wore a suit to trial in there and he was allowed to change in there unsupervised. What the fuck? And then... Whenever 
because this was like on the third floor of the courthouse. Well, whenever the guard that was supposed to be watching him came back from wherever he was fucking off and not supervising the prisoner. <laughs> Toddlers are a better supervisor. Toddlers uh-huh. will watch you do fucking anything. It doesn't matter. You never get a moment's peace. <laughs> Seriously. Um. Anyway, he came back in and was like guarding the door and Reldon turned around and like just sprayed him in the face with tear gas. Oh my god. And then jumped out of a third story window that was 35 feet off the ground into some bushes, ran across the street, stole a car from an attorney who was trying to come to court to do his job. Oh, that poor man. And led police on an over an hour chase that was a high speed chase. He eventually ended up losing control of his car. Uh, and running it into a ditch, and that was the way that that ended. Okay, that was a lot. Yes. Why, in God's name, would they go? Hmm. Guys, convicted. Guys uh, suspected of murdering two women, and it looks like he has quite the rap sheet. Go ahead, Joker. Go change into your suit by yourself. <laughs> idea i have no idea he just seemed so unthreatening i guess i don't know i i just feel like at some point you have to look at the dude's record for the things that he has been convicted of and go i don't really care if you're like a a chill dude like i don't really care if you're nice to me Uh, my job is to make sure that you don't fuck up and uh, if if I stop doing that at some point, I should probably, you know, not keep my job. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my God. Okay. Anyway, this was not the only time that he had attempted a prison break. Two years well, later. Oh, okay. Two years later. I was about yeah. to say, if he had tried before, they should have been looking out for it. No. Um, two years later, while he was in prison, he started complaining of stomach pains, and it was arranged that he had a medical transport to a hospital where his girlfriend was waiting in the lobby with a sawed-off shotgun to try and break him out of the hospital. So I made that Batman joke at the beginning. I did not think <laughs> that this was going to turn into actual Batman. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> this really is actual Batman. Oh anyway. Um... Yeah, no, she had a 20-inch double-barrel sawed-off shotgun. Guards noticed that she was acting strangely, and they ended up seizing her bag and ripping it um, while she was trying to get away from them. And they ended up finding the shotgun in the bag and arresting her before he was, before he arrived at the hospital. Oh my god, okay. Um... So anyway, back to the third trial. By the time that the third trial finally came around, he decided to defend himself. He was finally convicted between the physical evidence and him not doing the best job representing himself because he was a jailhouse lawyer and not a a lawyer lawyer. Um, (laughs) Julia's job's going real well, guys. (laughs) I don't know if you can tell the tension in her voice. It's totally fine. Um... (laughs) Anyway, he was finally convicted of one count of first-degree murder and one count of second-degree murder to be served consecutively. Oh. Finally. Okay. He got a consecutive sentence out of this. Like, at this point, it's like, yes, but also, 
should have come a couple years earlier. Oh, it definitely should have. So first-degree murder in New Jersey at the time came with a mandatory life sentence. However, life didn't really mean life. Life Mm. meant that you were still eligible for parole. So he was eligible for parole in the summer of 2008. He went before a two-person panel and was given the opportunity to make his case to be released. No. Uh, This parole board finally looked at Reldon and went, no, fuck you. Oh, thank God. <laughs> you get to stay in here. Uh, they denied his parole on April 1st. Yeah, yeah. You know, just an extra little... <laughs> fuck you. little sprinkle <laughs> on that. Um, April 1st of 2009, and then they set his next date for parole eligibility for 20 years later. So oh, he's shit. going to be eligible for parole in 2029. And considering that he was born in 1940, he's going to be old as fuck. Oh, good. Rot in there. Mm-hmm. So a couple more twists to this story. There's more? Uh, just a little bit. <laughs> There's so much to this story. I can't even imagine what the twists are. <laughs> oh, my mind is already blown. Okay. Dear sweet Aunt Lillian uh, was, by the way, fucking loaded. When her husband died, she inherited $50 million. And by the time that she died, she had $212 million. Oh, my God. She's living the life. Um, Yeah. She had quadrupled her own wealth, even after donating a significant portion of money to charity and hospitals around the area and being generally a wonderful do-gooder with a shitty nephew. Okay. Robert Reldon was still her favorite at the end of this, even though he was serving a 20 other nephews. I don't know, man. (laughs) Uh, Even though he was serving a 20 to 25 year sentence during the murder trials for the conspiracy to kill her, he didn't get taken out of her will. And when she died, he inherited eight point nine million (gasps) dollars. He, no, he doesn't deserve that shit. Be poor. Be poor and The imprisoned. court doesn't think that he deserves that either. Oh, so God. this didn't sit very well with the victim's families, and Susan Reeves' parents sued him to essentially gain control of his trust. Hell um, yeah. On September 15th of 2010, Robert Reldon lost the case and was ordered to pay the Reeves $10 million. T- $10 million? $10 million. Okay, I thought you said billion. I was like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Another suit was brought on behalf of Jonathan Hayes, Susan number one's husband. And that was also settled, but that was kept confidential as to the details and the amount. Okay. Um, And then one last thing. He lost a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. It's decided that if he ever does get parole the way that it's structured is that if he is ever paroled he will get fifty thousand dollars a year out of that trust but as it stands right now he gets two thousand dollars a year out of that trust and (laughs) his attorneys get a certain amount and then the rest goes to the reeves so he He's getting $2,000, but he's not getting right. shit. And because of the second lawsuit, it's really, really doubtful that he ever actually sees any of that because now he has two whole families that he has to pay. Oh, my um, God. And yes. then one last little little snippet. This one's a little more fun. It's not like a what the... F- um, okay. 
sometime in the early 90s, uh, before he came up for parole, he attempted to either dodge the parole board or manipulate the system by changing his name. If he had changed his name, he would have come up before the parole board under someone else and effectively ah, his I record see. would have been more obscured that way. I thought this was just another Batman <laughs> hoax. I was like, no. Get this shit though. <laughs> he wanted to change his name to Howard B. Byer Jr. He picked the name because the warden of the prison was named Howard L. Byer. <gasps> no! The he wanted to change it to be similar because it's still Howard Byer um, and he expected that he could do this either to start charging expensive bills to the warden or to get the warden's mail redirected to his cell oh my gosh so that was denied because they decided that it was fraudulent and there was absolutely no precedent for that but it was denied anyway fuck him but you get to set your own if there's no precedent. Right. Um, anyway, that's what I have. My sources were The Charmer, The True Story of Robert Reldon by Richard Muti and Charles Buckley, Dissecting Death by Dr. Frederick Sugby, The New York Times, uh, Four Convicted Murderer, No Escaping His Name, which was published on December 31st, 1993, and Holland's Magazine, Justice for Susan by Jeff Hodges. Oh my gosh, that was a wild ride. That was a very wild ride. That was a lot of twists and turns. I just kind of sat here the entire time like, the fuck? Why does, why does he keep getting out? Why? How oh many, my god. How many times? That is the scariest thing for me. Not only to have someone who just talks their way out of fucking everything, for someone who escapes every consequence that you throw at them. It's someone who continues to manipulate the system and just has no consequences for hurting people like that. It, like, it's terrifying. I mean, it really is, is. because that could still happen. Yeah, no, like, it's a different kind of scary, but for me, it is still really fucking scary. Because this is an absolutely actual case that happened, and I understand that plea bargains have to be part of the system, but at what point do you kind of stop and say, okay, you know what? Maybe we should not give you such a generous deal out of this. I mean, not ever. <laughs> of course, I haven't seen rap sheets like his rap sheets, but I've seen like for sexual abuse, I've seen like rap sheets that are just so fucking long. And you're like, mm-hmm. why are you still like here? Why? Like- yeah. And like for sexual abuse cases and for sexual assault cases, like people just they don't take it as seriously. Like, if you're accused of that, I mean, sometimes it really does fuck up your life, but a lot of the time, it it doesn't. <laughs> it's like, I think from these statistics are old, I think it was like 0.02% of people lie about being sexually assaulted. That's 0.02%. Yeah, no, it's, it's a staggeringly low number of yeah. people who falsely accuse. And also a staggeringly low number of people who are accused and convicted. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you and I have both done work throughout our careers as, you know, advocates for victims of sexual violence or for people who have worked within this field. And you and I have seen the day-to-day realities of it. And this is something that is scary for me. Yeah, it's terrifying and it's infuriating. 
Yeah, it really is. And, like, the more I look over this, the more I realize, like, he, for as much as he was in here, like, for rape, for as much as he was in prison because of sexual assault, he was in, t- in prison for sexual assault and things. It wasn't and just things. that he raped someone. It's that uh-huh. he strangled them. It's that he stabbed them. It's that he killed them it's that he it was more than just that if it were just the sexual assault like i i genuinely wonder whether or not he would have been in prison at all no Mm -mm. no especially if he hadn't tried to kill his aunt with that much money no right never yeah yeah so anyway there we go that's my story for this week uh if you liked it I have questions for you, but if you liked us, <laughs> you can find us on social media if you want. Um, you can find us pretty much anywhere that we find the Civilized Creatures, which is our podcast network um, full of really wonderful, amazing people. And uh, if you have any suggestions of what we should cover next, uh please feel free to send them to us at what's in your hometown at gmail.com. Oh yes, please. We do have a couple. We've gotten a couple of uh, requests that we're looking into as well. Yeah. So that'll be, those are coming up. It's going to be really yep. fun. Yep. Yep. We're super excited. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess all that leaves is with all the, <laughs> please just put them in present shit in the world. <laughs> You have got to wonder <laughs> what is in your hometown. Oh my god. Bye. Bye.